Paul, before we start, do you have any like vocal warm-ups that you usually do before we record? Because we're here live today, you and I, and if you do have some you know routine you have to warm up before we do an episode, I don't want to interfere with that. So do you do anything to tune up your voice? or I do not. No, I, I don't. Um, yeah, when we sit down and, and record the, the episodes, usually I like to have a glass of water next to me just to you know, okay. keep your mouth working and everything uh but no i i don't have any routines or any vocal exercises or anything of that nature do you you know sometimes but um yeah sometimes i'll do some some uh tongue rolls um or i'll read some poetry before we do an episode okay do you find that helps though Yes, I do. It just to warm up the voice is important for me rather than coming in cold. I mean, I've been in theater and I've so I'm used to this vocal warm up stuff, but uh, I haven't actually done it today. So I thought maybe we could just take a few moments and do it together. Well, so far you sound fine right now. So I don't know. Are you sure it's not something in your mind that you need to do? And no, it's you, you sound perfectly normal. Okay, I'll remember that. Yes. Okay. So in today's episode, we've got a few topics we're going we're gonna to go through. The first one was talking about vaccination passports or vaccine passports. It's in the news these days, and it's something we want to discuss. Making small talk, making small talk at cocktail parties, work events, family and friend parties, coffee shop lines, airplanes, etc. We're going to delve into a little bit about our challenges with small talk and whether we thrive on it do we like it is it difficult for us and then we will finish up with a a weird news story i know you brought something in that uh that you wanted to share it's a canadian story by the sounds of it so yeah let's just jump right in you wanted to talk today about vaccine passports it's in the news now with um different provinces in Canada in particular that are talking about these vaccine passports. I think other countries are contemplating them. And there's some controversy associated with it, of course. So what are you, um, what are you thinking on this? What did you want to talk about with respect to vaccine passports? Yeah, I chose this one because it's a very uh, relevant topic in the news today. Uh, something that obviously sure most people are probably having this big debate in in every single home right now uh the vaccine passports Wait, do you really think that like yeah, that people I, I are debating this they probably are at least having that that discussion i'd like to i would think that most people are because it is the the hot news item right now well they're probably debating it if there's a mix of opinion perhaps maybe but in houses either, where people either. believe in it i don't think like in our house we believe i well there isn't a debate going on in this house because I think on our side we we believe in it. Um, but anyway, let me let me let you continue. Yeah, I just wanted to to tackle the the subject matter of the vaccine passports because it's it's a very interesting debate in my opinion, and I'm sure many of our listeners will have um, you know mixed uh, mixed feelings or, or mixed ideas as to how that should look like. And the reason it's in the news is because um, what you had mentioned before, a lot of governments here in North America, maybe not so much in in the U.S., but certainly here in Canada, it's becoming a big issue. Recently, the Canadian federal government made it mandatory vaccines for all federal public servants. So Public servants, not just medical people. Yeah, so that's people working in crown corporations, Mm. uh, federally regulated industries such as banking, telecommunications. 
Uh, that also applies to the airlines, rail service. Um, and now the provinces are going in that direction as well. Uh, Quebec recently announced that they are imposing a vaccine passport. Um, and you will need this for entering into bars, restaurants, gyms, non-essential venues such as movie theaters, concerts, schools. In Quebec. Yeah, and that's going into effect um, apparently as of September 1st. So that's very soon. Interesting. Um, so far, nothing is happening here in Ontario, but I, I imagine that it's coming soon. And, you know, this, this begs the question as to the, now that we're sort of knee deep in this, quote unquote, the fourth wave of, of COVID, and everyone is saying that the, well, the, the numbers are stating that the majority of people who are getting sick are the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think it, it. we are now at the point where we have to ask to the unvaccinated people, when is the time? I, I think we, we now have to ask... To get vaccinated. Yeah, to, to get vaccinated. Because, you know, I have, I have a few different opinions on this. Um, and I think that in order to... We have to keep in mind that, yes, we are a free country. People should have the, the freedom to uh, be able to make their own choices. But... You know, we are heading in that direction where in order to tackle this fourth wave, in order to avoid any further lockdowns, I think these passports are, it's just the way it has to be. Um, And I I think there is a a quote that I read here that uh, we have to give up some of our freedoms in order to keep our freedoms, such as no more lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, I don't have a lot of patience for the whole conspiracy theory uh, concept. Um, well, like you're being injected with a, a chip. Yeah, you've heard so many weird things, like it's the 5G network or whatever. Yeah. It's so many weird, weird ideas floating around there. And to those people, I'd say, show me a reputable medical institution that has stated that vaccines are not the way to go. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think pretty much the medical community in all of Canada is, is I would say unanimous in their support for for the vaccines vaccines or the passports well for for the vaccines yeah um, I, I don't think the medical community has stated any particular opinion on the actual vaccine passports right. I think that's more of a, a political issue um, but yeah I, I think we're, we're at the point now where we know for sure that the vaccines are working uh, fully Pretty va- sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fully vaccinated people are not the people that are ending up in hospitals. Yeah. Um, obviously, yes, there is a chance people can still get sick, but obviously further, m- much less uh, symptoms, or for the most part, probably asymptomatic. Yeah, less serious, less yeah. hospitalizations, or, or less need to be hospitalized. So it's just, you might get it, but it'll be a... If extreme, like you said, asymptomatic or extremely mm-hmm. low symptoms. But it is a slippery slope here because I know that there is, it's not always a, a black and white situation. Um, so, for example, I know that there are some people out there, you know, with respect to the vaccine hesitancy. Maybe some people had a bad reaction or allergic reaction to the, the first shot that they had and they're, they're very nervous about getting the second. I, I completely understand that. But I know what I'm just, where do we go? How, how do we get the, the, you know, the vast majority of those unvaccinated people in order to convince them? And, and maybe these, this vaccine passport is the answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to 
impose those types of restrictions on people to say, listen, this has to be done. This is, you know, regardless of your, your hesitancy with respect to the vaccines, this is something that's almost bigger than just one person. Uh, this is for the greater good. Um, I, I think by now we can safely say that the vaccines have saved lives. Um, there's nowhere near the amount of people in intensive care units, nowhere near the amount of, of deaths, certainly here in, in Canada. And, you know, if we look south to the U.S., that that's kind of an example where if you don't have enough un, uh, people vaccinated, because there is so many unvaccinated people in the U.S., the, the, the virus is taking running rampant in the U.S. We're to the point where they're never going to get rid of it. In my opinion, we have an opportunity to be able to, I wouldn't say fully er eradicate COVID, but at least bring it to a very manageable situation where we can carry on our regular everyday lives. And, and Canada has an opportunity here to be a, a world leader in the fight against COVID. So, you know, I think this is an opportunity that, that Canada has to seize upon. So if having COVID passports is, is the, the best means to in some ways kind of force people to get uh, get the vaccine, then, then that's something that we have to do. Because, you know, keep in mind that it, the longer that this virus hangs around for, then, you know, the greater likelihood that it could continue to mutate. Uh, we've already seen in a few short months that the uh, the most recent Delta virus, which is, um, you know, spreads very Delta rapidly. Delta variant, yeah. Delta variant, yes. Yeah. Um, but how many, if we wait couple more months or even a year how many more variants are going to crop up mm. and if we allow more variants to, to come along will they be more resistant to the vaccines and then we'll be back to square one where people have to get revaccinated because suddenly the vaccines are no longer effective against new variants so you know in my opinion you know this this has to be done because of economic don't play um, with your microphone yeah. wire you know, the, the, the psychological impact that it's had on people, I, I don't think people can really tolerate the thought of, of yet another lockdown, especially as we go into the, the fall and winter. Um, you know, and, and sort of reading a stat here, only, well, 72% of Ontarians 12 and up are fully vaccinated, which is pretty good so far. Mm -hmm. And it, it's... And a percentage of that is people that haven't quite got to the point where they can get the second dose, I think. Is it some of that percentage that isn't vaccinated? Yeah, I think it's more so the younger people who are, you know, the, the people that are, are the biggest um, cohort of people that are, are spreading the virus right now. They are, yeah. Yeah. But, but the, of that, you said 72%, I think, was yeah, 70, is, has two doses? It has two doses. And I think for one dose, like partially vaccinated, I believe it's like 82% or right. 83%, which is, is pretty good. Ontario has been pretty good compared to, to other, other regions, other states, other yep. provinces. Um, so... You know, I, I think we're fortunate that we're we're in a situation where we're in a, a province that has has done a good job so far of of getting a, the vast number of people vaccinated. We have to take it more. If if we can get more, if we can maybe get ninety percent, yep. Then yeah, you know, I think this puts us in a in a great position, uh, especially as kids go back to school. I think people are just fed up with this. This this has to. I think any means necessary in order to to put this virus behind us because i don't think we can really take much more of of this 
All right, so let's let's talk about the unvaccinated for a moment. Um, there's a few categories of unvaccinated. There's kids who are under 12, which uh, are not able to be vaccinated at this point because they're the, the vaccine hasn't been approved for that age group. Yeah, and I think we're we're talking about the eligible people here. Okay, but so a vaccine so passport. What do you do when the person cannot be vaccinated because they're under 12? Are they going to be exempt from a passport? Yeah, well, I think that's how it's done so far is that anybody 12 and, and below, as long as the parents are fully vaccinated, then they would be exempt. Like, I, yes, well, I, I know that they're exempt from any kind of quarantine rules uh, with respect to travel. Um, I have looked not into this. Not if they this. get it, but if they are traveling and need yeah, to so quarantine if, for not because they've had it or anything like that, just as a as a precaution when arriving somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So certain. So for example, travel within Canada or, or travel outside of our borders. Um, I believe that for children twelve and under, as long as they are accompanied with um, any other, well, any adults but anyone 12 and above who is vaccinated mm -hmm. then they are not subject to any kind of quarantine or um, I guess COVID restrictions or anything of that nature okay so okay so those those are the that sort of answers it for the kids um, then there's the those that can't get it for health reasons that the vaccine poses some sort of a health risk is some percentage of people yeah and that's where I said that yeah, the, the the cautionary tale here is that there is that, that gray area to the point where if there is a medical reason why someone can't get a vaccine, then that should be factored in. Mm -hmm. And maybe and that... And should those people not I, be able to, to travel or not go into a restaurant Well, and, and, and that's that's a that's a great question in the sense that, you know, how, how do you handle those people? Um, you know, if, if they get a medical exemption, for example... Um, that allows them to obtain a vaccine passport, even though they are not fully vaccinated. Well, I would the, argue that the people that have that concern, well, I don't know. I'm not a medical person, yeah, but I was going to say and, they're and, the ones who could be susceptible to getting COVID mm -hmm. and having their own health problems because of it. But the yeah. health reasons for not getting the vaccine may not necessarily be related to, you know, a higher yeah. susceptibility to being more harmed if they get COVID. I, there may be some in that category where the vaccine getting it somehow means they'll be worse off than if they got COVID. I, I don't know. Yeah, There's probably uh, different levels of that too. Yeah. And that's why I say like, you'll never have a hundred percent vaccine uh, percentages, um, you know, because yes, there are always, there's always going to be people that for whatever reason, if, it, if it's a medically driven reason, I've read somewhere that there are religious reasons. I, I'm not sure. I don't know too much about that. If yeah. where that comes in, if there's there a, is. a religious reason as to why, you know, one can't get, get vaccines. Um, but I, I think where I'm going with this is that w what I'm talking about is, is just the, the average unvaccinated person that is holding out because either they don't want to, or they're nervous about it, or they're skeptical of the government, mm -hmm. or they've read some kind of weird conspiracy theory online. You know, I think those are the people that the government is trying to reach out to, to say, listen, this has to be done. This is, this is how, this is the wave of the future where, whether we like it or not, the, the vaccine passports is, has already pretty much arrived. Okay. So what do you do if in your family, let's say your wife is a hesitant person who does not want to get a vaccine. What would, what would you do in that scenario? Hmm. Make for an interesting dinner time conversation. That's for sure. 
Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. In, in my case, if, if, and uh, my wife, she was, was hesitant to take the vaccine at, at the very beginning, but she obviously recognized the big picture and, and she understood that it had to be done. What was the main for the reason for the hesitancy? Well, I, and I think a lot of people feel this way is that there's been a lot of mixed information, a lot of inconsistencies, especially, um, you know, many months ago with, when they, they launched the AstraZeneca vaccine, there's a lot of mixed information on that. Um, so, yes, I can understand people being skeptical. I can understand some hesitancy, absolutely. But I think now that we are several months into into the, the widespread uh, vaccine rollouts, I, I think they, they've proven that it, it's they work. Yes, um, the but there has, been, has some, been successful. There has been some changes now to the AstraZeneca statistics as far as blood clotting. I think when we went, when I got vaccinated, I think there was a one in two hundred fifty thousand chance. That number has now dropped to like one in fifty thousand. That that it may lead to blood clotting in my age group, which is the plus forty crowd. Um, but back then, but, you know, sorry, I should say the forty to fifty because I think, I think older people. With the AstraZeneca, and I don't want to be spreading misinformation, so with AstraZeneca, I forget whether the blood clotting goes up in chance if you're older or down in chance, but um, there has been a big, there was a big change in terms of the number of, like, the percentage chances of getting blood clots, so, but that's been shoved to the side, down in, the older you are, the less chance? I believe so, I think it is, yeah. yeah. So the, the... Let's just go through a couple of the other things. So there's the disbelief slash the skeptics. That is certainly, I th- I read in a statistic the other day that says they estimate 5% of Canadians will, will never get it because of skepticism or disbelief. That's actually a pretty low number. So I think if, if potentially you can just convince the, the non-skeptics, um, if you can get the ones that are, potentially able to be turned around like i know people who were skeptical and have since been vaccinated um so i think there's a camp that's still in that or there is a group that is still in that category of of people but you still have those that are in the health condition category um the kids category which uh, we've already talked about but i guess if you look at what what don't they get to do if they don't have the vaccine passport okay that can mean leisure trips but it could also mean trips like visiting close family uh, in other countries well let's so you're you're okay go ahead yeah i was going to say to to that point in a you know speaking from an ontario standpoint right now really the only restrictions would be probably primarily travel related However, if Ontario goes down the same route as what Quebec is doing, then that's when you will see huge differences in that if you are not vaccinated, you may not be accepted to go to a restaurant or a gym. Movies or... You can't go to the movies. Baseball game, maybe. Suddenly that will grab everyone's attention. Not that Quebec has a baseball team. (laughs) Yeah, they would like one, though. They'd like the Expos back. Yeah, but the point is, is that, um, yeah, this is a, a very controversial topic in Quebec right now because... But the vaccinations went way up, apparently, once they, they did, started talking yes. about this. Yeah. Vaccination numbers spiked. So as an ins- as a way to potentially push even more to get vaccinated, if, tr- if, on- if Ontario starts talking about this, then if it pumps another 
five, ten percent of people out there to go go get vaccinated, then that's I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess there's then the last thing on this is the incentivizing versus forcing. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think you're advocating for forcing vaccinations, like no. you know, knocking on doors and yanking people out of their homes to get vaccinated. No, I, I think when, once you start forcing. Really? No, you're yeah. not. You're not no, like, I, I think once you start forcing people, then then you're truly talking about you know, viola- violating civil liberties. Um, I, I think as a, a democratic society like we have, I think that would be too dangerous a slope to, to go down where you're mandating it. Yeah. Um, but you want but it to we, make it. We are sort of mandating it depending on what your job is. If you're a federal employee, suddenly mm-hmm. it's now mandated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what the, the route that Quebec is doing where it's being incentivized, where, yeah, the, the, the vaccinated people enjoy more, more freedoms than unvaccinated. Well, yeah, if that's working, then that should be the case. And, and as a, as a fully vaccinated person, I should have more rights and more, more freedoms than, someone who's unvaccinated because well you're right, less of a risk technically yeah, to less others. of a risk other an people are less risky to you yeah yeah, yeah because, because you know an unvaccinated person although they might be digging their heels in, in in terms of their beliefs they are still a potential spreader of the virus and and that's the most dangerous situation right now is is the continual spread of the virus to the point where we're never going to get rid of this thing mm-hmm so, and the numbers are going up in Ontario. I yeah. think we had 500 cases yesterday, which, uh, yeah, it's not not good. And we got September just, you know, a few weeks away, and kids are going back to school. For for those of us like you and I who have kids who are under 12 and can't get vaccinated, there is a real concern we have about that. I mean, I've been talking to people about what they're going to do. I mean, there's the virtual learning piece, which is apparently still available are you, what are your plans? Is your kid going to go back to, to school in person or? Yeah, he's going to go back to school in person. He is under the age of 12. Um, but we're, we feel that the, the school has been very safe. Um, you know, there's been very effective contact tracing. You know, keeping him at home, it doesn't do him any good either. You eventually have to continue on with your with your lives and, Having him interact with with his friends outweighs any kind of um, you know the, the potential negatives. Does it? Um, well, I, because children under twelve are not prone to getting serious serious illness. But isn't the Delta variant affecting? That? Well, yeah, the Delta variant can can spread to to any age. Yes. However, in terms of of the this the COVID symptoms. You know, primarily, um, it's children under the age of 12 are not susceptible um, or a very low likelihood of, of becoming seriously ill. Um, so I think the, in terms of, of the health consequences to him, I, I'm, I'm confident enough to be sending him to school. I think the, the risk is, is worth taking that chance. But yeah, it just goes into, comes back to the original argument where, you know, we have an opportunity here where we have safe vaccines that are proven to work, we have an opportunity to get rid of this thing. This COVID-19 has been hanging over our heads now for nearly a year, a year and a half. Yeah. We have the ability to basically purge it from our province. So take that opportunity, seize that opportunity and just get the bloody vaccine and just be done with it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a believer that in this case that there should be certain limitations to those that aren't vaccinated just because it it has to be that way because I think what's because when it comes to equality or you know things like that I think you have to look at it in the sense that what are we supposed to do wait for the 9% that are refusing to get vaccinated so that the the um 91% have to go through lockdowns and things like that. Um, I don't think so. And so, I mean, we're not saying you can't, you can't, um, you know, be around. I mean, you just, you're just going to have to follow more different rule, more rules for those that aren't vaccinated. Um, and, and we're also at the point now where lockdowns are no longer sustainable. We, we can't go down that road again. The, the economic impacts. And I mentioned before, even the psychological impacts, like the, the, the psyche of, of everyone, it, we can't go down that road again. That we have to continue on, keep things open, continue on with 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 our lives, despite whatever the Delta variant is is going to throw to us. So therefore, we're we're at the point now in in the COVID battle that these vaccines have to happen, because as I said, if we look south of the border, this thing is is you know running rampant through some of the most most populous US states, Florida, Texas, California, I think have the highest numbers. And they they can't get rid of this thing. And that's because there's not enough people getting vaccinated. They haven't achieved any kind of anywhere close to getting that herd immunity. I think maybe we look at it this way. For now, there will be restrictions for those that don't have the vaccine, whether it's by choice or whether that's because you can't and that is just a fact of life in the age we are living in in this moment and it hopefully won't be forever and that's i think but i think that's that's if, you know you've been we've been through various phases throughout this whole situation stage 1 of lockdown stage 2 state of emergencies all these different things that have happened and i think this goes back down to um, now it's like if you're in this fa- this category, then you will have to follow different rules than the rest of the people in the name of us getting past COVID-19. This episode is brought to you by Pace Painting. Pace Painting, serving all your painting needs, whether commercial or residential. Reach Pace Painting at paintwithpace at gmail.com or via their Facebook page, Pace Painting, Inc. Or call... Peter at 289-356-7744. Paint with pace. All right, small talk. Small talk came to me the other day. I was at a, and when I say small talk, I mean making small talk. And and I think most people know what that means. If not, um, they'll probably understand it by the time I kick into why I wanted it, wanted to talk about it. The other day I was at a work event and I was you know, we had a few people I'd never met before that were at this event. It was a sporting event. Actually, it was the Canadian tennis, the men's open, Canadian open men's tennis. Um, never been to a live tennis event, which uh, is a topic in of itself, I think. But we had a few people there that were guests. And um, I just got to thinking about the whole, like, there are some people that have an easier ability to strike up conversations with people they don't know that well. And, you know, there was one particular person that was there that I was trying to get a little bit closer to in terms of, you know, getting to know them. It's a customer of ours. And I was just trying to think of things to talk about. 
and this person was a nice person, uh, but trying to sound interesting and trying to, to be humorous and trying to ask things that were, you know, somewhat original. And it just got me thinking like, what, what's our opinions about small talk and do we struggle with them? You know, introverts versus extroverts. I categorize myself in the borderline of introvert, extroverted, probably slightly on the extroverted side, but I do like to retreat into my shell now and then. So I struggle quite often with, with small talk and I just wanted to discuss it. Like for those out there who also struggle with small talk or for those that don't and actually enjoy it and, and find that as a great way to meet people, which leads to other things and more deeper relationships. I was just thinking the amount of energy it burns is, uh, I think as I get older, it's starting to starting to take more energy and it's bothering me more. You come kind of a grumpy old man. <laughs> well, it's, I, I hear where you're coming from. Yes. It, it, especially a, a work event. It, it can be a little tiring, maybe a little repetitive at times, but I think most people don't realize throughout the course of their day, how important small talk is. You don't realize how many people you're interacting with, whether it's outside clients or even people internally, you know, just striking up mm-hmm. a, a, a casual conversation before you, you jump into, you know, the actual meat and potatoes of, of your, your work subject matter. Well, before you continue, I just wanted to just outline, I have identified four categories of where small talk factors in. There's there's a, a work event, you know, we have customers, a work event. There's a cocktail party, which could also fall into to that. So there's small gatherings, there's cocktail parties, you know, two, 300 people. There's personal potential for small talk. You go to a friend's party or family party and sometimes a, you know, a cousin you haven't seen for 10 years or a person you're introduced to that's a friend of the host. Then there's the coffee shop line, I'll call it, category, which is you're just in a coffee shop, standing in line, you're going to get served in a couple minutes, but there's someone in front of you and you're just like, do you strike up a small talk? Um, so those are kind of the four categories. The 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 work the two types of work events sort of smaller and larger the personal family and friends and then the generic coffee shop line where you're standing there and there's someone who's close enough to strike a conversation up with you yeah and it's great that you've actually segmented those because it's so true um for me I'm, I'm not probably that great at the whole um coffee lineup small talk mm-hmm uh, but I, I will say, don't underscore the importance of small talk because I have the type of job where um, I meet with external clients, and when I'm there to conduct, um, you know, in, insurance um, discussions, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I'm there, typically I will spend up to an hour, two hours, uh, meeting with my client contact, asking them very direct questions about their their business operations, um, but. I received a really good piece of advice from one of my, my senior um, senior managers uh, many years back. He said, whenever you go into a client meeting, you don't just want to sit down and start rhyming off a whole bunch of questions and, and jumping right into, into work talk. He mm-hmm. said, you should always lead off with a small talk. Like, notice something in their office that you can talk about. Let's say if you, you sit down in someone's office and they've got a whole bunch of pictures of golf. Well, maybe talk about golf. 
or um, I don't know, just maybe yeah, Dale they, Carnegie they, talks about that in yeah, how if, to win if, friends and influence people. Exactly. Like you find, look at find, the artwork or yeah, artwork or if they have a picture of their car or something mm-hmm. like just something, something that you can talk about. And I've thought about things that, that, you know, it's, it's tricky as to where you interject some of these questions when you're meeting someone for the first time. Yeah. There's that little bit of awkwardness or, you know, how's it gone or gee, nice weather we've been having, Mm. you know, the weather is always good. Mm -hmm. That's always a good icebreaker. Is it? Or is it just cliche? Yeah, it's a cliche, but it still breaks the ice nonetheless. Yeah, yeah there's always those, those. Where are you from? Yeah, what do you do for yeah, a living? Yeah, there's the the good icebreaker uh, questions that you ask. But for me, you know, because uh, in my role, I get to spend up to hour to two hours to to have an in depth conversation with with individuals. There's more time to interject those types of questions. So, for example, and and more opportunity to do it because you're coming in there with an agenda. So I'll I'll let you continue, but if because I think your that's an easier one because you've got a mission. You came in with an agenda and a reason for being there. Yes, which you yeah. know you go to a social event with a client. There's obviously a reason to be there, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's not as easy in those scenarios because you know you've got your checklist of which you you know ice break it with a few questions. But that's for, very true. Yeah. For other things like a cocktail party. Yes, cocktail client party, party where you've yeah. got a whole bunch of clients there and you run into maybe a client you don't know that well, but you mm-hmm. need to get to know. Well, you and I have attended many insurance conferences mm-hmm. and those are great networking opportunities. But you're right, by the end of the conference, you feel like you've had the same discussion many times over. Um, you know, for me, some of the things that I talk about, um, sports, depending that's always a good icebreaker sometimes people may not be into it but if you know someone's a hockey fan then that's a really well that's the thing if you know they're a fan of it you talk about vacations so when's uh you planning any vacation this year i always find that's a good one to Mm -hmm. to start off with a decent conversation um you know even something like what your kids are into let's say both your kids are you find out but what if you don't kids play hockey or something okay yeah but yeah sometimes you will meet that person that you have absolutely nothing in common with and those are the types of discussions that can be a little bit awkward or a little bit forced. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a rapport with every single person you meet. That's just not feasible, not possible. But by asking a number of different questions and just kind of feeling out the situation, usually I can find something that you can have somewhat of a of a conversation. And usually once you have that that once you start the flow of that major conversation, Typically, other stuff will, will start to, to come out. Yeah. I, I think um, if I look at these categories, so I'm also not really a coffee shop lineup kind of talker. Um, and we know people in our social circles who are. Oh, yeah. Know? For yeah. example, Mike is somebody who's been on the show a few times. Mike is somebody that can can do that he, he's pretty he, he seems like it's an he's a natural when it comes to striking up conversations and for me sometimes i just don't feel like doing that mm-hmm. it's not like i'm sitting there saying hmm what can i ask this guy in front of me um yeah and, and to, normally i don't get do into a either, conversation yeah. with them sometimes that's more the cocktail scenario so the coffee shop one i'm not really prone to striking up random conversations. I'll use the air, the air, uh, the, the plane example too. You sit next to someone on a plane. How often have you initiated a conversation with someone on a plane sitting next to you? 
Probably not that much. Yeah. Yeah. And if people do it to you, are you receptive? Yeah, I'm receptive. I'm always polite. I would never like just kind of brush them off or be rude to them. What do you do if you just don't feel like talking? Do you say something or do you have a signal you put your headphones on? Or? Um, I, I haven't really had those, that, those many opportunities where you have to kind of shut someone down, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess if, if somebody is asking you a whole bunch of questions and as long as you try not to go into too much detail maybe if you do like yes or no answers mm, then maybe close-ended answers close, yeah close-ended <laughs> answers maybe that sort of a you know a bit of a deterrent or, or sends right. a message that you're not really interested in carrying on this conversation okay so let's move so then there's the client event um let's say small client event like maybe six people going out to a tennis match to watch the you know professional tennis um, that one, I would say, if I was to rank these, by the way, let's say coffee shop scenario, trying to strike up a conversation, I'd put that at difficulty level for me is maybe a five out of 10, six out of 10 okay. to do it. Um, desire to do it is usually quite low. So I'll put it at a three, <laughs> but yeah. ability to do it, I'll put it at a five or a six. What would you rank your ability to strike up a coffee shop line conversation? Your ability, not your desire, your ability to do it. Yeah, probably like a six. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. you could do it. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, six or seven. I, I could do it, but it's the you're right. It's it's the desire. So normally, what's the desire level? Normally, I don't. Maybe like a two. Yeah. When I'm in a coffee shop line, I just want to get my coffee and get out. Okay. And I'm not there to make friends. So yeah, the desire <laughs> would be low. <laughs> I don't make come across as sounding rude i want my come across like an asshole but that's just how it get is out of there yeah. yeah all right client event um different because it's part of our job yes yes so client event ability to socialize and ask questions and feel like you're you're able to break ice and things like that what's your what's your skill level at that i think i'm pretty good we've been in the industry for a long time um you know, the last two years kind of maybe puts you a little bit out of practice because he hasn't been a lot of events due to COVID. But yeah, that's true. I think we need to give um, ourselves a bit of a pass on that too. Yeah, a bit. but yeah. usually client events, especially depends on what it is. Especially if you're golfing, like I've I've attended golf tournaments where you're put in a foursome where you don't know the other three people, mm-hmm. um, and usually I always do a really good job of of networking. I, I'd say I'm actually quite good at that. In so, terms what's your of, rank? Um, and what's your skill level? Probably like an eight. Eight, okay. Yeah. Desire. 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 I'd say a six or a seven. Usually I go in there with a pretty open mind. So you like it. Yeah. So take away the work aspect that you need to do it. So you're still a seven. You say a seven? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because you know what? It's even when... So here's an example. Um, Last week, I was golfing um, with with two other friends. um, And... They, 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 because the golf course was busy that day, they put an additional person in our group. So, you know, we're golfing with a guy I've never met him in my life. But you know what? I made the point of going over and say, hey, how's it going? And how you doing? And where do you like to play? You know, how's your golf game this year? Like starting with the small talk and then it can lead to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I could have easily just ignored him and just you know, sort of cast him off, just say, oh, I don't know him, so I don't need to talk to him. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. no, I made a point of of making him feel welcome to our foursome and getting to know him a little bit. And because of that, he was a really nice guy. I enjoyed 
having him in our group, I enjoyed golfing with him that day. I think that's another thing too, though, is, you know, who the other people are, are they easy to have conversations with and break the ice with? We've all had the dead fish scenario where you just, it's like taking blood out of a rock where you just can't get anything going versus a really cool, funny person. That's just great to talk to. I love those for those interactions. I'm, I'm a nine out of 10 on those, but Sometimes when you just get that, there really isn't a lot in common. The person's just not really responding. But keep in mind that, you know, when, when you're meeting those people, if it's at a work event or if you're, if, if you're paired up with someone at a, at a golf course, typically you'll, you'll find a commonality. If nothing else, you know, for example, when you're on a golf course with someone, you have that automatic, you have that connection with golf. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why, why would you be there if you didn't? So that's always an excellent icebreaker to say, hey, how's your golf game? How many times you get out? That type of thing. And then it can lead to other discussions. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not afraid to get out of my comfort zone. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation in, uh, in Quebec. And there's the, the resort that we were staying at had a, a phenomenal golf course, which I really, really wanted to play at. So I golfed by myself. Like, I didn't have any golf partners. I just booked a tee off time for myself and they paired me up with two other guys who were really nice guys mm-hmm. i had an excellent time that doesn't always work out yeah no no it doesn't but nine times out of ten i'd say it does um and yeah that's an example where a lot of people wouldn't have done that a lot of people would not have either golfed by themselves or want to have been paired up with people that they don't know right i'm okay with that yeah and yeah, I, I had a great time. They're nice guys. We had a lot of commonalities, like enough stuff to talk about to, to make the you know make the, the time pass and make it an enjoyable experience being out there on the golf course. You're out there for four hours, so there's you got a lot of time to talk to them. Um, so I think it's just a lot of it is just keeping an open mind and, and just getting out of your comfort zone a little bit because the easy thing to do would be to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't have a golf partner, so right. I'm not going to golf or to or, go and not be sociable yeah and, i don't have someone i know so i don't really want to go because i don't know anyone at the party or i don't okay, know anybody so well that type of thing our our next category was the personal family and friends um what's your skill level when you go to a, a friend's party and there's people there you, you don't know striking up conversations what's your skill level there um I'd say pretty good. The, the only time where that maybe becomes a bit of a problem is that I find that sometimes there can be groups that can be cliquey. In other words, if you're with, um, you know, fr- like a, a fr- a friends of friends type of thing, sometimes they'll, I, and I found that where you go to parties or events and they'll just kind of stick to the people that they know. They don't really, you know, make you feel very welcome. Yeah. So I've encountered that oppor- th- those instances where you show up at a party, you don't really know anybody, but people don't necessarily go out of the way to make you feel welcome. And that that's a different dynamic. That's as well. an area where I think I have a high degree of skill is not in the, it's more in like, so first of all, what's your ranking there? What are you putting? I'll come back to that. But what's your ranking in terms of ability to, let's forget you know, overall skill level to strike up conversations with people you don't know at a family party or a friend's party? Six or seven. Okay. I'd put myself probably at a a six or seven as well, maybe seven or eight. Um, desire level to do it? It depends on the group. 
Yeah. It, it entirely depends. If, if they welcome you in yeah. and make you feel like you're, you're part of their group, then the desire is high, like eight. If, if it's a cliquey group and they, no one really pays much attention to you or, or no one really cares if you're there or not, or no, yeah. one, no one makes the, the rounds to introduce you to people, then the desire suddenly becomes quite low. Like I think that's three. a really important one, that cliquey thing you mentioned, because you do tend to, so you see it in, in definitely in friend, mostly friends parties, you can certainly see it. Um, so I'm with you there. And the other sort of partial part of that is, or, or related to that is when you go to a social part, like a cocktail party or even a client event, and you start, you see, let's say you've got seven people there, you're the odd man out. So you've got three groups of twos talking and you're like, okay, you walk up and you sort of try to find your way into those conversations. What I, what really bothers me is when there isn't that, that doesn't end up happening. Like you, you walk up to two people and they're talking about something and then, it, you know, it's something that's maybe you don't have enough knowledge about or you're not sure what context it's in. So you kind of need a little bit of a, you'd like it if one of them turned to you and said, Oh, we're just discussing the fact that bill here is, you know, thinking of putting a new roof on his cottage or something versus if you walk up and you just hear them talking about hammering and construction and stuff like that. You're like, okay. So then you rove over the next group and it's like, they're talking about something. And again, there isn't like the, the, the open, and I, I think people that do do that, like when you go to a cocktail party and there's that f- group of three people talking and then they just sort of open up the circle a bit and say, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm Jim. This is Steve. We were just talking about dot, dot, dot. That is something I actually think I do have pretty good skill in. I recognize that loner or odd person out. And I will do that. I will do that regroup and say, hey, we're just discussing X, Y, Z. But like I had that happen at this this event on Friday where I there was seven of us or nine whatever it was it was an odd number and I found myself several times because I didn't know I only knew one or two people there I found I was getting into that you know feeling like well you know what you know what you know what everybody fine I'm just gonna go over here no one needs to worry about me yeah yeah I'll, I'll be in the corner if anyone needs me just That's right. quietly sobbing to myself exactly <laughs> yeah. Now, why don't I just leave? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, those are where I think the energy levels d- drain out of me when I have, have yeah, those scenarios. I and I try to combat it and, and counter it when I see it. When I'm one of those people in the in the discussions, I try to open up the circle and bring people in. So Yeah, I'd like to think I, I do the same thing as well. Because I, I recognize that, that initial awkwardness, you know, a person kind of drifting over to, to, to your conversation, you know, wanting to sort of, you know, be part of a, a group. And I... I'm conscious of that. I, I try to incorporate them into the into the discussion or, or ask them a question to start to include them. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been there before, especially yeah, many many cocktail parties, attending many insurance functions, and yeah, there's always that that uh, initial awkwardness or that hesitancy. And some people are are good at welcoming, others not. But you're right; it's it's good to to differentiate the ability versus the desire, depending on what the situation is. Um, I did have a few tips for people, you know, a couple things that resonated for me. Um, think of small talk as a light appetizer before the main course and approach it with renewed purpose. You know, for introverts, they tend to be curious people, channel that curiosity into the small talk, ask questions. 
another one was like to deepen the conversation rather than say, what do you do? You could say, what brought you to that line of work or what, what made you enter that profession or decide to enter that profession? So that takes it, you know, to the extra, the, the extra level. And going back to what you were saying about COVID, be kind to yourself. Like, don't be so hard on yourself that feeling like, oh, I bombed tonight. I, I wasn't able to strike up meaningful conversations with people. You know what? Like, that's just, I think we need to relax a little bit. We probably weren't, we're better than we thought we were. Yeah, and, and it, we should differentiate that when it comes to the small talk, th- this is intended small talk face-to-face. One mm. thing I'm, I'm not so good at is small talk over Zoom meetings. I, that just feels so awkward and weird. Hmm. Like I, I'm, that's something I don't do a very good job of is, right. is the whole, you know, the, the Zoom conference call. And we've had, you know, at various points during COVID, you know, you, you have team socials where you, you talk over over Zoom. I find it's okay one on one. Yeah, one on one is good. But when it's good, the group of six or eight people and you're trying to like, you're waiting for the break in the conversation, yeah, and then you start it's talking, just, it's and, awkward. and it's you just don't weird. get heard, and people start talking. And then you know, and then it's like, oh, what was Paul? What was that? Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> what was that? Was two minutes ago? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I and, and the joke's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's something I, I will not miss hopefully as we come out of COVID is is the whole zoom meetings meeting people face to face is so much better I, I do much better in, in a in a face-to-face environment than talking to someone over zoom it's so impersonal it's time for weird news I find this is a topic that we sometimes don't do but more often than not we're able to find something so you in fact have a Canadian weird news story to share yeah it's not Japanese. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I did tell Salim that we would back off the Japanese uh, yeah. weird news story. So I'm going to come right back at you, Salim, with uh, with a Canadian news story. So, Paul, tell us what, what okay. you got there. So this one is is a local one. Um, so, yeah. When you the, say local, what do you mean? Well, it's in Toronto. Okay. Local Toronto. to us. Local right. to us Not to our, our Bahrainian listeners no, no. or our, our Swahili listeners. Yeah. So the headline here. Uh, is police stop car filled to the brim with beer cans on highway north of Toronto. Uh, so yeah, the what happened here is that the Ontario Provincial Police uh, pulled over a car uh, during a ride check. Um, and uh, to and a ride who, check. Yeah, yeah go I was ahead, just going to yeah. say, those who are not familiar with a ride check is that uh, the police will do, um, I guess, stop points at various uh, highways or or checkpoints at various roads and highways to basically ask people if they've been had any alcohol to drink Um, typically they do this at christmas time but they also do it in the summer because of uh, cottage country Uh, a lot of people coming back from cottages coming back into the cities you know typically on on long weekends anyway so yeah this was a guy that was stopped at a ride check so they're the direct question they will ask is, have you had anything to drink today? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the, the person who was pulled over was driving a, a Toyota Corolla, which is a, a smaller type of car, but mm-hmm. they had, <laughs> there was empty beer cans filling the back of the Toyota's cab from the floor nearly all the way up to the roof. <laughs> but the driver was not found to be impaired. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this was a guy coming back from the cottage. Um, he was charged in the clearly under, had a good time. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully he didn't drink that all in one weekend. Jeez. Uh, he was, uh, charged under the highway traffic act for having an insecure load 
Yeah, if you're driving with a license Sorry, a under what? suspension. Insecure load? Insecure load. Because I guess it would interfere with the, with the driver's ability. Okay. So that was a penalty of $130. A uh, maximum fine up to $1,000 if convicted. But yeah, I just... Insecure load. I mean, one implies that something is not strapped on properly to the back of a, a truck or something, or the yeah, roof. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... Well, I guess but the I guess police... it could be clanging around. These beer cans would be clanging all over the place and maybe yeah. dropping in front of his... Well, it's, it's the so... The brake pedal or the yeah, gas probably. pedal or... Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. I, I think it was so unusual. I think the police had to charge him with something. They I wonder just if they had were to just come up with yeah, it. filing through the, the book of things and saying, all right, we got him on insecure load. He's not yeah. drunk. But he's got all these beer cans. Yeah. So this is a story where, okay, if you're listening to what we're saying here, it probably doesn't sound that interesting, but what you need to do is show the picture. Yeah. You show the picture on the show notes, you'll understand why this is such a weird story. Because when you look at the picture, the entire back seat is literally filled with beer cans. Yeah, the window, if if you're looking at the car from the back, the entire back window, um, I think there's about a, you know, a six inch stretch from the top of the rear windshield where that you can see through the car to the other side, but below that are just beer cans that are are piled up. I see Budweiser beer there. I see yeah. some Labatt Blue. It looks like. Um, well, it, it didn't go into detail as to how I see an Ultra can. Yeah, but how, how this was acquired? Like if this was years and years of saving up. Yeah. I'm assuming this guy was taking it back to to get for recycling purposes. Uh, but yeah, it's just unusual as to why you would put that many beer cans in your car. And on the just, side window, it's stacked up the same way, like it's yeah. in the back seat. Now he doesn't look like he has anything in the front seat, so at least he limited to the yeah. At least the, at least the driver's side, the, the the front windshield was was safe and secure, right? <laughs> I mean, but you have the to smell in that car. I was going to say, like, how even, long are the, how, depending on how old these beer cans oh my are, God, the smell would be disgusting. Like flies, even, bugs. even at the, the time that I save up my beer cans and take them to the the beer store for Ugh. recycling, just the smell alone, just for like a couple of cans smells you know makes your car smell like a brewery you know the stale beer is not a nice smell plus yeah you get bugs and stuff so yeah i can imagine that this car was just really really dirty and stinky once you took these cans out of it you know returning beer cans to the beer store okay this is a first world problem i i get it um you know to take my beer cans back to the beer store and get 10 cents back for every can or whatever that's a nice thing I and mean, it's a good thing um but it is one of the things i hate to do the most is <laughs> go i hate putting all the cans together i do put them in bags i don't just throw them in my back seat because there's fruit flies and other bugs crawling around i try to seal it up and cans they get all loose right so they're all, they're all over the place um and then going into the store to actually return them um, it's just an ordeal. Like I, I, this sounds so terrible, but I honestly feel like I would rather just put them out on my curb and just have someone take it away and take the money. I don't want the money. Just take these goddamn cans away um, because I. It's it's one of the most. It's the kind of job or chore I hate to do almost more than anything. <laughs> well, hey, as long as they get recycled, I guess that's the main thing. But. Yeah, this this was a pretty interesting one for sure. And uh, yeah, I'd wonder how much money he has in here. It's, well, uh, hey, the, the money he gets from the returns might pay for the ticket. <laughs> I've gone into the beer store before now with bags. We're all it's a clear bag, and the guy will say, "How many cans you got there?" It's a bit of an honor system, and I'll say, "You tell me. 
just you come up with a guess and I'll just pass the bag over because there's no way I'm taking all these cans out and putting I I won't do it um so I just take whatever number they say Alex about like 60 cans in there and I'll say great done uh off we go I went in the other day and did it and unfortunately we had mixed bottles in with the bag and when the guy picked up the bag and he heard the bottles clanking, he says, uh-oh, no, you're going to have to open that bag up. We can't take bottles mixed in. And I see there's some non-alcoholic ones mixed in there, too. So you're going to have to take the bottles out. And I went in there with my hands and the smell. Yeah, it's sticky. Yeah, it's it's a dirty job. But Anyway, we digress. So yeah. just if you are in Ontario, it is a requirement to put your bottles into a container not just throw it in the back seat i mean i could picture this guy just heaving them into his back seat well we've we've talked about dirty cars before but this takes it to an extreme right you know what's funny too they've actually put this uh this one article i don't know where you what's the source for your article well this is blog to but i, I have seen this on a few other sites it's as on well, the so. sun the uk news company the yeah, sun i think they've actually gone so far as to write this article probably rewrote it from a source um, that says here, uh, they even went so far as to tell you how many pounds the 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 fee was seventy four pounds. Um, it can come up with a fine of up to five hundred seventy six pounds and up to six months in jail. So this was interesting enough news in the UK to actually publish it in a UK newspaper. <laughs> All right, Paul. Um, so ends our what second or third time now recording in person. I believe it's our third. I think it is. This is our first indoor in-person edition yes. yeah so we didn't have birds chirping dogs barking no lawn pools splashing yeah. lawnmowers whippersnappers wind whatever it is so yeah and uh, it's been a while since we put an episode out so um for those listeners who've been waiting we apologize um it's summertime hey give us a break yeah 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 it's a bit of a well, I wouldn't say a hiatus, but yeah, during the summertime, it's uh, the scheduling of of our episodes is not so um, is not so frequent. But um, I can assure you that uh, we have lots of material to talk about, and they'll be they'll be coming along. We do we we do want to talk about another topic uh, in a future episode, which is about traffic tickets, and you know, should traffic tickets be adjusted based on salary? Um, which does happen in some countries. So uh, we're going to get into that in a future episode, maybe the next episode. So you and I got baseball to play today. We do, yes. It's coming up soon. All right. So we're going to sign off. We're shutting it down, guys. Um, Looking forward to the next episode. Enjoy the rest of the summer. We will be back sooner, I hope, than the last time. But you'll hear from us in a couple weeks.